1: What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that, too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you, and keep looking up. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan spread. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere
2: in the Skies. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Definitely.
1: Yeah, I'm excited, man. I mean, I know you're sort of new to the whole UFO uh, discourse and conversation, and you just dove right in, man. I know your first videos that came out about the now-famous Navy UFO uh, videos and incidents just really took off. I mean, it was crazy how viral those went, and I think uh, I think people were excited to finally see another fighter pilot coming forward to to sort of back these other people up and say, "Look, these were not conventional things we saw out there." There's probably a hundred different explanations to what it could be, but we'll 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 kind of get into that in a little bit. Um, but I do have to ask, you know, that for my listeners, viewers who may not be too too familiar with who you are and um, how you sort of came on the scene here in our little UFO community. Um, what what first got you interested in becoming a fighter pilot? How did that whole, um, I guess, string of events turn out?
2: Yeah, I did. it was interesting. I, um, most fighter pilots actually, they it was kind of their dream, you know, <laughs> growing up. Uh, and my roommate at the Air Force Academy, it was his dream actually to go to pilot training and be a fighter pilot. And then his eyes, you know, he couldn't because of his... Uh, His uh, eyesight. You know, they ended up changing the last minute, actually. So, if they really need pilots, they they will. You know, the (laughs) the requirements actually can get bigger. Um, But actually, uh, I went to the Air Force Academy. Uh, You know, I I wasn't really uh, that interested in the military, but uh, I really just wanted discipline. Actually, you know, I I, uh, I wanted more discipline. I wanted an exciting life. I didn't just want the suburb kind of lifestyle that I grew up in, you know, I, I just did not want that, uh, and it seemed like an exciting, uh, exciting opportunity, you know, I applied, I didn't really think I would get in, actually, I, um, it's very difficult to get in, and I was surprised they let me in, so it, it's this ma- amazing opportunity, you can't pass up, and I went, uh, and so I, when I was there, <laughs> they tell you the whole time, they're like, just quit, man, just quit, you can quit anytime, you know, just go ahead, quit, you know, <laughs> it's... And apparently that's exactly what, you, if you tell me that, I do exactly the opposite. You know, I don't right. know. Uh, it's just, I have that kind of, I've always had that personality just to like, I don't know, if you hit me here, I'm going to stab you in the stomach. You know, I don't know. It's, just, it's like a reflex. I can't even, uh, I can't stop it. So anyway, so I, I, went, I made it through. I, I did really enjoy it, but it was extremely difficult. You know, every day I remember I woke up at the Air Force Academy, every day I would wake up. And the first word in my brain, you know, I'd look around, I'd see where I am. And then I would say, shit, you know, like literally this was like four years of this, man. So it was, it was tough, you know, but it does, it molds you, you know, it really like pressure cooks you. Uh, So I went to the Air Force Academy and and from the Air Force Academy, uh, you have a pilot slot. So that's the benefit of going to the, to the Academy instead of going to ROTC or I had some friends who just went to a normal college. And then after they did their normal college experience, they applied it's called ots officer training school and then they could just get in you know so i had <laughs> friends in the in the squadrons next to me you know that just went to new york actually i have a good uh, a good friend noonan uh, he actually was a he was a photography major man i should talk to him about this optic stuff Oh, yeah i need to talk to i to talk to Rodney. i'm going to get him on the show <laughs> he's super smart amazingly smart uh, but he was a yeah he had a photography degree and he went into the recruiters and he said, hey, I want to be a, you know, a fighter pilot. And They're like, I'm sorry, you can't do that. He's like, no, no, that's, that's what I want to do, you know? And the guy's mm. like, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. So he did, he'd made it happen. <laughs> and so, uh, Yeah, so if you want to do it, you know, most of the people really tried really hard uh, to get there. And I, I don't know, I, I don't want to say I just fell into it. You know, it was very difficult, very hard. Uh, but I do think I had an advantage in pilot training because you go into pilot training and, and again, it's just a very competitive environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just a, in a competitive environment, you know, I just, oh, you know, I have to win or whatever. Uh, so in that environment, I grew up playing video games and also it wasn't really my dream to, to be there. You know, it wasn't my dream. And I think that gave me an advantage because when you're really under a lot of pressure, uh, I think that helps. It just helps. <laughs> you yeah. know, if you don't, if you don't care as much, it really makes it a lot easier just to be smooth, take your time, uh, do things correctly. Yeah, so I, I think a fighter squadron is really like a professional sports team. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of camaraderie. It's a lot of pressure. And, you you know, you, you have to perform, really perform under a lot of people watching. Um, and so at that level, it all a lot of it just comes down to your training, your preparation, and then how you can actually perform under pressure. Uh, and so I think that just helped me get into uh, fighters. In case you, you I excelled. I uh, did better. And there was, lucky enough, there was a fighter available. Went into F-16s. Uh, and that's basically how I, how I became fighter Pop.
1: Wow. And I can't even imagine that stress and pressure, um, you know, in the moment, especially, and I know training is a big part of it, but, um, I got to ask, um, on a personal level, do you remember your first like real world flight and, um, anything you can share about that or like how you performed or what was that experience like? Cause correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, you don't have someone else in the F-16 with you. Is that right? Like a lot of the other fighter jets do in the Navy and stuff. You're, you're alone, right?
2: Yeah. And that's it. It's single seat, multi-role, single, uh, single engine fighter, you know, single seat, single engine. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the F-16. It's like the infantry of the fighters. You know, it's like, gotcha. the we were, we're expendable, you know, <laughs> There's, we're, we're the most numerous. Okay. and uh, you know, we're like the grunts of the fighter world. Uh, and, and we're kind of, it's like a Swiss army knife, you know, master, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. That's like the, uh, the, the F 16s main, main, um, I guess, multi-role fighting Falcon kind of image, how it was designed for single seat, single engine mm-hmm. disposable fighter. <laughs> it's really, <Gotcha>. yeah,
1: but <laughs> it it, yeah, they humble, I bet. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it's true. Everything does come down to you. Um, mm-hmm. and it is, you are a single point of failure so you know there are there are things to catch errors you know if a maintainer makes a mistake it can be very bad it, you know can it can cause a crash obviously um, but there's many layers to catch these errors you know there's systems built in but if the pilot you know if he doesn't put down the landing gear uh it, you know that actually there is people watching that he puts down a landing gear <laughs> so uh but there is th- you know if the pilot makes a serious mistake then that's it you know it's over so it's it's important that yeah, you got to make sure these guys aren't going to crack under the pressure or so. Yeah, so the yeah. training training's very intense. Um, what,
1: what was that first real world flight like for you? Do you remember? <laughs> I was don't even know you if I want to forget.
2: <laughs> it had to be in Korea. Well, real world, like in combat. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. OK, my actual real world sortie in combat was insane. Yeah, it was crazy. I went to um, Balad. It was in Iraq. So we deployed to Iraq from Aviano. Uh, and that was, let's see, that was in 2000, end of 2005. So I've been flying about two and a half years, uh, with the Viper. (laughs) And we show up in Balad, you know, we're, we're replacing the previous squadron. Balad's the main airbase, a giant airbase right north of, um, Baghdad. It's like, I don't know, 15, 20 miles northeast of Baghdad. A giant base. So we flew in with our squadron. We're replacing our sister squadron. So you do like five-month tours. Your whole squadron goes there, Um, you know, so you're all working together as a team. Uh, And so we landed. And, you know, getting there is uh, kind of like a mission in its own, you know, packing everything, uh, making sure all your equipment's correct, you know, all the crazy bureaucracy. I mean, we had to bring so much crap there, like bags of warm weather gear. I remember, like, I had to have, like, four pairs of these super thick wool socks, (laughs) <laughs> know just stuff you would never use i mean it's just ridiculous uh so anyway we get there and i thought i would have two days to study you know we were supposed to have ground time uh two days just to uh kind of learn the ops i you know i read it before but uh, did i study enough probably not um so i was like i'll have time when i get there you know <laughs> so we land uh i get like a quick nap and we land at like midnight or whatever and i i'm just at the chow hall you know learning hey where do we go here's the food and i and i see my buddy uh Bonsai, I was actually in pilot training with him, Bonsai Watkins, and he's like, "Hey Otis, my call sign was Otis actually uh, as a, as a fighter pilot." Hmm. And he's like, "Hey Otis, um, can you can you sit alert with me, you know, tonight?" And I was like, "Tonight? Wow." Uh, he's like, "Yeah, you know, if if you can sit because you're new, then that gives uh, the guy we were we had scheduled now he can fly a jet out tomorrow or something to help them." Uh, get their jets back to Italy. You know, it's also mm-hmm. difficult to move all that stuff. You know, it's just moving that much equipment. Jets always break. So I was like, wow, Bonza!" you know, I don't, you know, I don't really know the opposite. Well, he's an amazing pilot, by the way. Excellent. He, right now he's the commander of, um, in Luke Air Force Base. He should be oh, wow. a general. Um, yeah, make, hopefully he's a four star. Um, great dude. Um, he's, so I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, I, I can fly with you. Cause he, he's like, dude, I know it. I know everything. You know, I can just tell you alert. You just sit there, right? Most of the time you don't launch an alert. You know? mm-hmm. He even told me that he's like, dude, nobody's launched an alert in the last two months. You know, it's been super quiet. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. He can just tell me everything, you know? And plus yeah. if they already asked me, it means everything was already kind of approved through the higher ups anyway. So it's basically an order. Uh, so I was like, sure. It sounds good. You know? So I go back, try to rest it up a bit. And then uh, we get there and uh, we get there early. We get into the squadron early. It's a night sortie. Uh, So we're sitting, you start at midnight, right? And then you sit for 12 hours. So you sit until lunch. And most of the time you're just sitting there all in your gear, you know, in this ready room and you're just watching TV or studying. Um, There's a bed in there. And then they, you know, you get a call and it'll be like, you know, it's either go, go, go. And you run out, the jets are all ready. You jump in, flip on the switch and go, you know, I'd never even launched like that before, actually, on a full up alert. <laughs> so we we go in, we show up early. He's like, "We'll show up early, and you know? I'll show you how to do it." And we're like, focusing our MVGs, you know, focusing our MVGs. He's like, "Here's you know, here's how you get a gun." You know, i have never gotten a gun before. I was like, "Oh, this is you know, cool." I clear it in the <laughs> in the day, I put it on, and then the squadron commander runs in. He's like, "Go, go, go!" And I was like, "What?" You know, I look over bonds. I like, no, we're just, he's not talking to us, you know. The, so we like run out there. We run out to the jets. You know, we, I'm like, where are the jets? You know, he's like, go over there. <laughs> <laughs> I jump in. Yeah. Is this too long? I'm sorry, man. Is Not at long? all, dude. No, this, okay, cool. see, this is, this is st- like, yeah. cause
1: when I, uh, all no. I know, and I think a lot of us in the civilian world know is what we've seen in like Jerry Bruckheimer films or like Top Gun or whatever. And like, that's how it is. Like,
3: yeah, go, 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 no. go.
1: You're up there. You never see the training aspects. It's just like yeah. these guys were born to fly and fight, and that was it. But there's so much to it. So I love hearing like it's not perfect. Not everything goes no. the way you think it's going to go. So, no, please. I love yeah. hearing this story.
2: It's usually the opposite, actually, things go differently. Uh, and that's, what's very good about having people there. Right. We're super adaptable. You know, you can talk about autonomous machines, but you know, people we, we can adapt super trainable. Yeah. So anyway, we, we get out to the flight line. It's dark, you know, <laughs> I run out there. It's a real world, uh, uh, mission. <laughs> so i run and jump in the jet. You know, I'm starting to get my stuff together. Just try to make sure your comms all connected, my helmet's on. Um, and then I see his jet, I haven't even turned on my jet, you know. And he's like, I see his jet taxiing, you know. I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> so Sad. I'm like, oh, hurry up, man! So that's where you just like talk to yourself, you try and get yourself on task, like, what do I need to do? Like, focus, you get back into your training mindset, and then just try and go as fast as you can without screwing, screwing things up. Make sure your switches, the important switches, are really uh getting but but not, then i see him launching right and i had no idea where to go and i really wanted to be on the mission you know i didn't want my first mission in combat just to be this failure you know i'm left on the tarmac <laughs> so i end up just launching right I, I i push it forward i'm like chief i'm out uh line up on the runway i see him he's like afterburner you know little tiny afterburner spot just like leaving i was like shit you know so afterburner Halfway down the runway, I realized like I'm not even strapped in. Like I didn't strap into anything. Like oh, uh, no. Yeah, it was that was pretty bad, actually. Um yeah. So I'm not strapped into anything. No, uh, I'm like just sitting on this fighter. Uh <laughs> and he's fireflying. Yeah. And the, it, I mean, you're just so much in the uh in the moment. Yeah. I get uh, it. Like, totally. It would be like jumping in your race car and just slamming it, you know, like yeah, just going cool. and then you're strapping on while you're while you're going or whatever. Uh, so, so I, I basically, I, it's a, um, combat departure as well. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things combat departure. So what you do is there's, there could be people around with heat seeking missiles, right? Just waiting off the end or just rifles. Okay. Long rifles would be very, very, very effective actually. Um, so basically you just, um, you get going really fast, like 450 knots by the end of the runway, and then you just push straight up. Right. And then you, you fly above them. Um, it's called a, uh, combat departure so he did that right so then i have to go it's like night it's a little bit less because it's at night but basically i do i do uh end up catching him and as long as you're under one g right if you if you fly the plane right actually you don't need a seatbelt. you won't fall in uh, out of your out of your seat or anything um so I, I basically get strapped in you know we finally uh he finds the house in baghdad you know we finally get our stuff together and then um he's like, do you see this house, you know, down there? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I see it. You know? And they're like, okay, that that's it. And then we pick up a convoy, uh, they're in Humvees, you know, and we find those guys. And so he's tracking the, uh, the convoy in and coordinating with them, checking in with them, letting them know all of our, all of our information. Uh, and I'm just like searching around the house, you know, and it seems there's always like a mosque nearby. So I have to, (laughs) I have to watch the mosque, uh, and look for any activity or something. There was nothing, there was no activity, um, and then, uh, you know, our Humvees drive up there. Uh, I'm looking around somewhere else, and everybody just starts shooting at each other, uh, I guess. I didn't even see it. Um, and so I'm just flying around. They, they jump in. They, you know, go up to the top. They, they secure the building. And then they just book it out of there, you know, as fast as they can go. So um, I actually lose them as, as, we're, as we're following them out along the city. Uh, I, I kind of felt bad because I had actually lost them. You know, it's just hadn't done that practice before. I hadn't tried to to track a you know a car or a humvee in a city going like as fast as it can go. You know, I have just haven't haven't done that before. So, yeah, it was full up, man. It was awesome. It's great. I, that's the, wow. uh, the first story in my book, actually, uh, that I haven't released. I keep mentioning it, probably just to make myself release the book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So that's it.
1: Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that again. Yeah, I, Sorry. Was... I I never I would I never expect anyone to you know share the grisly details of a lot of the things that you guys experience and stuff, but um, it's, it, I, I like to get in the head of, you know, what goes on during one of these things to sort of frame, you know, why it would be so out of the ordinary for what we're going to talk about uh, in real world experiences when one of these UAP show up and you're like, wow, there's a whole other level to this mission that I was not expecting. Um, so I guess kind of moving on from there, Chris, and I know you, you had 18 years of flying. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. So the first two years were uh, training, waiting to fly and, you know, okay. waiting for the pilot slot and then flying. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's incredible.
2: Um, well, okay. I got to ask as
1: a UFO guy, I know um you've sort of spoken on other shows about this. Um have did you ever see anything while you were up there or anyone <laughs> no. on your missions,
2: <laughs> nothing like that? Nothing. I mean never hurt never I if I mean I would look more now for sure. Um Yeah. There was probably like, you know, UFOs just following me around, you know, who knows. <laughs> uh, right. You are looking around a lot though. You know, you are looking outside, but you know, a lot of the systems are inside, so you are looking inside a lot too. Yeah, I just right. never was looking for it, never heard about it, nothing till till this year. Yeah, cuz we we always hear these rumors
1: of like there was a, there's a training manual in the Air Force where what do you do when you you spot a UFO? How do you you know how do you go about that? And I think I remember you saying no that we never came across anything like that. And yeah, that's the cold hard reality about it.
2: Never heard of it. Yeah, nothing. I mean, there was no mention of UFOs or any. the, the only thing in my whole career that ever happened that I that I thought oh that's kind of weird is when I was at the Air Force Academy. Uh, I had an an amazing instructor. Uh, in chemistry Uh, and i don't know what he was a lieutenant colonel at the time so he said this was in 1998 we were talking about roswell or something and he's like he said uh uh, it was just humans it was humans i don't know interesting yeah that was the only thing i was like what (laughs) (laughs) i knew nothing (laughs) about roswell or anything but i remember (laughs) him saying that for some reason um but uh, how would he know you know it was still like 40 years before, you know, so.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I totally yeah. get it. I mean, again, you thinking. guys, you're not there to look for UFOs. That's not your job. No, <laughs> they just exactly. Uh, Muscled their way in somehow. Um, well, let's talk about how you started the YouTube channel. I mean, I know it didn't, <laughs> it wasn't just UFOs, but um, all of a sudden, boom, you put out that first UFO video and it went pretty viral um, in terms of YouTube. So what got you to start talking about UFOs?
2: So I'm, I basically, uh, so when I retired, I was looking for something interesting to do, you know, something meaningful. And I wanted, I can't just sit at home all day playing video games and <laughs> make my kids go to school. You know, it just feels so <laughs> like a dirtbag. bag. Uh, so I really wanted to still do something. Um, but I also want to spend time with my kids. So I didn't want to go and like start some company right away and, and be gone all the time. So this seemed like just a great opportunity. I wrote, I, you know, I wrote the book. I did the first, first, uh, draft of the book. Um, and then in November I made the YouTube channel and it was really, I've told it, told it before, but my kids, you know, I have three kids and they all watch YouTube obviously all the time. And, you know, I, I watch with, them. I love YouTube, you know, I have amazing role models, I think based on YouTube changed my mm-hmm. life. Um, and so I'll, when I talk to my kids, they're like, yeah, I want to be, I want to be a YouTuber when I grow up, you know? And I was like, YouTuber really? I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's cool and all, but you could do that right now, you know, just go and start making videos, you know, yeah. I'll help you make videos. Uh, and, uh, and then they're like, why don't you do it then, dad? And I was like, fine. You know, um, actually I wasn't fine. They talk so much trash. Like I, my, you know, I have a girl, she's, she's nine and gosh, she's just a trash talker, you know? So, uh, and they know how to poke me too, you know? So yeah. So they you. Yeah. They are like, Charlie, <laughs> I'm like, fine, you know, I'll do it. Uh, and I'd already, I'd already written books in 2015 I, I wrote a, uh, a fitness book called stand target and then I in 2017 I wrote a, a, a finance book for military so I'd already kind of gotten over the initial terrifying publication issue you know it, and it is terrifying like everybody talks trash about these people writing books you know they're always like oh they should uh, they just want to they just want to you know sell their book or whatever Um, and (laughs) it's just so funny. Like no one who's ever actually written a book and tried to sell one says that I promise you, you know, it is so hard. I've, I've written two books and I can't tell you like the, the profit margin is not what people would expect. It's zero, man. (laughs) There's like five people out there making millions of dollars off books, you know, and and that's it. So there's no... (laughs) <laughs> there's no money in books, uh, honestly, you know, it's, I don't think you write a book to make money or, or if you are, I think you're, you're in the wrong field. Um, or you're going about it the wrong way. Good point. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I'd already got note, but it's, it's terrifying. So, you know, right. Uh, what, what kind of books did you write? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, naturally I wrote two books about UFOs. Um, just, okay. I traveled the country, met with people, you know, former military civilians, and their experiences and okay. it was my first time really putting my voice out there as a um you know a what would you even call it a voice of the ufo topic and i was terrified yeah. i yeah i hadn't i'd been into the topic yeah. i'd talked about it i've written articles but that was the first time i really said okay i'm putting my name out there i'm i'm these people have trusted me with their stories let's do this. And like you said, it's, it is, it's scary. It's like putting yourself out to the world unlike ever before.
2: So yeah, I can relate for sure. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. You know, the more successful you are, the more your net is the more hate you're going to get, you know, so it's, but you just have to get used to it. Um, it's still tough. You know, every YouTuber you see has some video where they're just complaining about the trolls and the haters. Uh, but Whatever, it's part of the game, and I, I for me people. actually it helps me keep me uh, keeps me down to earth, you know, because I you know I did really well after in pilot training. I was like number one of the uh, I was distinguished graduate. Uh, I was very good. I'm very good at uh, my you know my hands. Uh, learning something new, I'm I'm very good at it. Uh, but then you have the guys that are just so dedicated, so motivated, and they just every day, man, they just work, work, work. You know, they're in there on sat on Sundays, Saturdays. They just live for it. And you're just not going to, you're not going to beat those guys. You know, Mm -hmm. if, uh, if they just have to have a base, if they can have some basic level uh, of talent, which they obviously did, um, then they were, they could pass me and they did, you know, so I I didn't just buckle down and and, and maybe that's because it wasn't my life dream, you know, maybe, maybe that's why. um, Yeah.
1: But um, so when did the idea for the first UFO video come about that you put, I I imagine you, like a lot of us, you saw those videos. You were like, whoa and we were all amazed but then here you are a pilot um who's actually been in these people's kind of shoes in some ways um yeah what what made you do the first ufo video
2: yeah actually it didn't happen right away because they i saw them first uh at the end of uh 2020 so in in november i saw i saw i saw the videos and i and it, it blew my mind actually you know i i listened to lex friedman and Fravor, I listened to that podcast. Like I stayed up to like two thirty in the morning. You know, I just listened to it straight through. I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, uh, I told my parents, "I'm like, hey, there's aliens," you know, and they're all <laughs> like, uh, "They're like, excuse me," um, you know. My wife's like, "Yeah, I knew," you know. It's like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, she hers. Yeah, but I didn't do anything, right? It's kind of one of those things, I, and so I totally can see that why where, where people can just kind of avoid this is just don't want to you just don't want to believe it you know mm-hmm. your normal day doesn't change your normal life doesn't change you, A weeks go by months go by everything's the same you know you look up a little bit more i'm like no you know don't see any crazy balls or ufos flying around so then you just kind of you know maybe maybe it's not real or something I mean, maybe i didn't just see those videos that i were blatantly obviously clear to me um <laughs> <laughs> like Uh, yeah. And then it came out the 60 minutes just pushed over the top. Um, Okay. So that was it for you. Yeah. And then I was like, uh, you know, I can't just keep, uh, I don't know, imagine this isn't real or something. Mm -hmm. It was just in my face. And, and I, so I made a video, uh, of those three and that actually, that didn't go viral. So my first video of UFOs didn't really go viral. Um, but somebody picked it up. I think Chris Mellon, uh, or Corbell or somebody and shared it. Uh, because I I was on Mick West, so really I I had a buddy here. He's he's a he's a British guy, super smart, amazing surfer, and and I was talking to him about the UFO stuff, and he's like, oh man, that w- I heard that was all debunked. I was like, what? You know, <laughs> like debunked. I just saw it last night, man. No, it's not. It's pretty legit. And he's like, no, this guy Mick West on there. You know, he's got all these videos, and yeah, he says it's debunked. He had a pretty uh, pretty convincing argument. I was like, really convincing, like okay i'm curious what he said you know yeah i went home i searched uh mick west and i was just like just got madder and madder i was like angrier and angrier Uh, (laughs) as i see all these just video after video um because it's just so obvious to me or probably any pilots that's seen it especially like um uh the gimbal um that one just looks so (laughs) and especially when it's turning you know because i that really made a difference The, the reason i made that whole argument about it turning is because i if you just imagine you're sitting there, right? Like imagine you have a shotgun or something and you're you're, you're gonna shoot, um, you know, they, they do the pull thing, you know, they're like pull, you know, and then you track along and you shoot, right? Um, that's what's going on essentially with the gimbal, right? So essentially you're tracking it, right? As it's moving, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So if I'm tracking these this gimbal object, which even maybe looks like one of those targets, right? One of the shotgun targets, right. uh, if I'm tracking it, right? And it's turning like this. And I have to do this, this amount, it's called line of sight. We call line of sight in the fighter world, right? How much you're actually moving uh, or the plane is moving across your canopy is it's called line of sight. So that's a rapid line of sight. Okay. So rapid line of sight means I have to, I have to aim like this, right? I have to aim well out in front of it. Um, so if it's like 50 miles away, man, that thing's going, you know, well, how fast could it be going? Like Mach 10, 20. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. You know, if you're just, just think about it. If you're, a shotgun shell. So go out two miles. Now, if you're tracking something, the same speed, two miles, right? I mean, it. it so when I saw that initially, it was just so blatantly obvious to me that, uh, and the, the go fast one is equally blatantly obvious, right? They keep saying it's this trash bag or something flying around <laughs> at mid altitude, but for all of that to happen, right? That thing would literally have to be exactly at the parallax in between, <laughs> in between the plane. I mean, I don't know. I get so much negative comments. I'm going to have to go and finally just, redo the go fast uh (laughs) but that one's equally obvious so so basically it's just like if you walked out of your house right and you saw a literal like the gimbal object just flying along the street i'm sorry if you saw the gimbal object just flying along the street and rotating and going down the street right and videoed it with your with your iphone okay
3: Mm
2: -hmm. um that's and then somebody and then mick west comes along he's like that's a duck you know that's that's basically what what he's telling me um because i've just stared at those things for so many years um Right. It, it's no, just, uh, I, yeah, it's clear. It's, it, it looks clear to me. <laughs> so. Yeah.
1: I do want to ask you the Omaha video. I know you did yeah. uh, a YouTube video about that one. And that one that Jeremy Corbell and um, George Knapp released was pretty interesting. And I know, you know, Mick West had a pretty um, quick answer. It's clearly some sort of balloon or, or something like that. A lot of the skeptics said that, but um, what did you think? of the Omaha video. What sort of did you walk away thinking about that one? This object that uh, presumably went from air to water and um, is what we are now considering transmedium travel. I mean, yeah. What what do you make of the whole Omaha video?
2: <laughs> yeah. I, that one was also equally mind-blowing, you know? Um, yeah, his, ar- I haven't even listened to his arguments on that. Uh, oh, there is one, there's like a flashlight. He says there's like, uh, if you put a light you know, behind a flashlight and then put it down, it goes, it goes away, but you can clearly see there's water (laughs) above the object. Um, So I think it it was amazing, especially at the beginning, right? That, that beginning part where it's, it's tracking, you know, it just looks like that little ball, like from Mork and Mindy. Uh, Yeah. And then it's just, it's tracking across the, it's moving across the, the the ocean right above it's, it's flying like that. (laughs) Just nothing moves like that. You know, we have nothing that can do that. Um, I don't know. It's just so, it's so weird. The, the speed of it. What's even interesting too, like Kevin Day, like he mentioned that what really kind of cued him off on the Tic Tacs was they're up at 28,000 feet. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're going a hundred knots and and that's very interesting because at a hundred thousand, uh, sorry, at 28,000 feet, you have much, much less air. Okay. So an F 16, I couldn't go a hundred knots at uh 20,000 feet. You know i'd mm. fall out of the sky um because i just can't produce enough lift over the wings there's just not enough air we have we have tiny wings right maybe the maybe like an f15 or an f18 can maybe go 100 knots at at feet but I, it, they'd be in like afterburner like this you know yeah. um because there's just not enough air going over the wings so the fact that they were just even going at 20 100 knots at 28,000 feet is just so weird you know it's just uh Stuff doesn't move like that. So that that initial Omaha, when it's moving across, and you can see it's moving because it's tracking. You can check the tracking, um, basically off the angles uh, that the camera's moving, right? So we know the camera's moving.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so so I I noticed Mick West didn't make any. He didn't make any videos about that first part of the video, right? He didn't mm-hmm. make any video. And this is kind of what he what what his mo is, right? He'll pick one spot where he can like really dial in and make some some argument. But then he ignores the other part of the video, right? Because his yeah. argument on this thing just going down and being a light uh, that doesn't work for the first part of the video, right? So the first part right. of the video, uh, so how do you describe this light that just that tracks across, uh, that tracks across like that? Is that how fast is it going, right? If because now you get into this the same issue I brought up with the gimbal, right? Because now if I'm tracking something, right, and it and it goes, you know, if it go if it goes an inch, uh, right, but it's it's a hundred miles away, that that it's going really fast right? But if right, it's very gross. Right. So he gets into issues where he gets in these tracking issues. So that's why I released this this last video, uh, or two video, how to get a better UAP UFO video. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Would you mind maybe diving into that a little bit? I love that. Like it's a 101 on how to, because I can't tell you, man, how many videos I get sent on weekly basis or photos. And I'm like, oh, I wish you'd like zoomed out. So we had some scale of Yeah, how high up it was, how big it might've been. And look, I get it. I've, I've, I've been studying UFOs my whole life basically since I was 13 and I've taken some videos and they're horrible. So even I am like in the moment being like, I got to zoom in as much as I can try to get the detail of this thing. But yeah, what, what, what was the video? What would you suggest people do to take like a proper UFO video?
2: Yeah. I mean, one of the things is just get, make it longer. You know, make as yes. long as possible, more context. <laughs> uh, don't edit, you know, don't break it. You know, if you can put your face in there too, great. You know, cause I look at these videos online, you know, I'm on strange activities. He has awesome videos or, or whoever it is. Uh, great YouTube channel and they're awesome UFO videos but they're like a minute or two long. There's no context, there's no location um, mm-hmm. or maybe sometimes there's a location. Um, so I, yeah, I released that, Nigel Nigel Benton, he was a subscriber, he wrote me and was like, hey, Chris, I have this, uh, you know, I have a video actually from 2006, what should I do with it? Uh, and I was like, post it to YouTube. Um, I think that's the best way to do it because there's no storage issues, right? I think maybe the, maybe they're short because two minutes is, video files are really big or something. So maybe, maybe they don't wanna get, wanna get, it's hard to move those around, but you can just right. upload it right to YouTube. Um, I think this is, I think people are really missing the missing the boat on this. I think this is really important, actually. I don't think they realize how much how much data you... We could break this thing wide open, really mm-hmm. wide open. All we need is w- just one event, just one. We'll get like 30 different camera angles and boom, it's over. You know, I mean, what are they going to say? Like, okay, yeah, that video is fake. What about that one? And that one, yeah. and that one, and that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. And everybody's selfieing themselves. Yay, you know, like, I'm here. We'll go talk to them, you know, and... <laughs> Uh, so, but really I think, um, longer, more context. And then you kind of mentioned it, uh, a timestamp. Okay. So some way to timestamp it and from like, you know, whatever, POW training or whatever, anything you can get into the, like, if I film this right, 1641, you know, right then, right. That it's yeah. I'm stamped with the date. Uh, and that's hard to CGI, right. (laughs) Or film a newspaper, you know, like the, yeah. yeah. So getting context into the video, I think is important. The length is important, and then if we can get the time and the general location, uh, and and you mentioned it, like getting uh, landmarks, you know. So if you can get like a landmark in there, um, that that uh, anchors it to the ground. There we go, yep. <laughs> out of the flying world. So if you can get a landmark in the video and a timestamp and make it long with context, man, we get we get thirty of those from the same event. And this, I'm, I'm, I am I'm, guarantee we will bust this wide open, like, seriously. Like, no, I don't think people understand this. And it was my lowest performing video. I was, I was very surprised. I was like, wow, I guess people don't get it. But
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think what's frustrating, Chris, is uh, with these videos that we've been debating for the past few years now, Tic Tac, Go Fast Gimbal, is because they are so short. And because uh, some of the Navy personnel have even said, I, I saw a much clearer, much longer version of that video. Um, and that's, I think, where the issue lies with someone like Mick West and, and you having different thoughts on this. Of course, you both have very viable um, you know, observations about it, but we don't have the full picture. We don't have the full data. And we don't even know if, if the Navy did, if how many sensors picked up these. I mean, I... Gary Voorhees, one of the gentlemen that was on, I believe, the Princeton, uh, has said, it's so frustrating. We're seeing this one video shot by Chad Underwood of the Tic Tac. He's like, I know there were other, there had to be other eyes on that, other videos, this, that, this, that. Um, so I think that's where the the true frustration lies, is we don't have the full context. We can't really truly understand what we're looking at or dealing with because we don't know. We don't have the full video. We don't see it. Taking off, or you know, the most we get it with the gimbal is it rotating and then the video cuts short or the tic-tac shoots off video cut short. It's like, yeah, but what happened after that? That's what's most frustrating.
2: And this and the and the other big problem is the single source. Yeah, you know, single source. I was thinking of like a good analogy, you know, and I was thinking of Gallagher. Remember Gallagher, the giant oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, and I even make it funnier, make it like McWest West, you know, <laughs> he's like giant. So imagine that like uh, one rope over his leg, you know, Mick West Gallagher's like laying down one rope over his like arm, you know, that's like one video, right? Yeah. Um, that's just not enough. It's not enough, you know, because one video can be faked. It can be, you know, it can be CGI or deep faked, whatever they're talking about. So I imagine like 30 ropes going over, <laughs> you know, this a, imaginary Make West just the the argument, right? So yeah, he can he can you know make up something to be like pink, you know. Oh, that was easy, you know. It's a glare, right? Even though you show a million different ways, it can't be glare, He's like, nah. But now you get thirty ropes over him, man. He can't move. Um, Yeah. And and that is maybe from science. Maybe anyone with a scientific background knows it's about evidence. You need data, and data is in mass. We need we need more data, and we need it accurate. And, and that's really what we don't have right now in length of time. So length of video gives you more data, you know, more videos, more people gives you more data. Any, you get context in the video where you are, what date is, what time, if you can move around. Okay. Like, so there's a CIA handbook or Martin Holtman, he found it. Um, step one of the CIA book to take a picture of a UFO. It's, it's, this is just pictures. Uh, they said to uh, focus to infinity. Um, mm. So yeah to focus to infinity and we did that with our night vision goggles we would focus to infinity so you can just focus on a star actually uh, and that would get you to infinity is is what when we cheated right if i forgot or something got knocked around or my focus was slightly out uh, i would just tune it on a onto a star okay um so that's infinity so i guess all, everything else being equal just tune to a star if you can and then lock your uh focus and then point it at the ufo you know that all that stuff would take training. Uh, and then the final thing it says was if it's close to you Uh, then you you should move to take different angles. So if greater it says 40 to 60 feet is enough Uh, but it's if it's further away like a mile or more They said then it doesn't really help you to move those little short distances The best thing is to get in your car and drive half mile or more and then start filming or photographing again Yeah, and then upload it straight to youtube man upload it straight you know, there's, no, there's nothing in between me or this maybe there is an algorithm, right? Um, but if everybody uploads at the same time now, w- what are you gonna do? It's tough to keep right. that information, right? Now all of it's, it's open source. Yeah. I, so I think this really would bust it open. And you look at these events where these UFOs are just sitting there, right? For like, they'll be like, it was there five, 10 minutes. I'm like, five, 10 minutes, you know, like. <laughs> I don't know. Where's the video of that? Yeah, yeah I'm ready. So I think you just you need to be ready. It's just like anything else. Um, you know, you got to yeah. be ready for the Heimlich, right? You always got to be ready to Heimlich somebody. I think that's just a natural, natural thing. And you got to be ready to take a UFO picture or you know, video. Yep.
1: I love that yeah. comparison. <laughs> yeah. Always be prepared. Yep. If the Boy Scouts taught me anything. Yeah. Um, well, I guess going back a little bit um, with sure. the Tic Tac, I'd love to ask you two specific hmm. questions. Um, we heard with Chad Underwood, the pilot who filmed the Tic Tac, that there was possible jamming of radar during that event. Um, so as an Air Force pilot, I'd love to get your perspective on that idea of what would it take for something to be able to jam your radar on the yeah. on your aircraft? I mean, if that's true, that's extremely troubling that it's able to do that. Or is that more common than I naively think that something else would be able to jam your your instruments on your own? Aircraft. Yeah. How much power did the Tic Tac have to do that? This is my question. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How much technology?
2: I I mean, so at that time, well, 2007, I became an aggressor. So it actually was my specialty actually was um, analyzing foreign adversary electronic attack systems. Hmm. Uh, so that was in 2007, it was uh, the best, uh, my almost, I, I, maybe I shouldn't say my favorite job in the air force, but I, I guess the one I identify with the most, you know, if they were going to say, what, what, what do you think you are? I'd say I'm an aggressor. You know, I trained our, uh, I analyzed the enemy, I analyzed their systems. And then we replicated the enemy, uh, to train our blue forces, right? So the, the better your, your enemy is in training, the better you're going to be in, in real combat. Uh, so yeah I, I really enjoyed it and i and i threw myself into it uh, i loved all the beeps and squeaks i love all the nerdiness of it uh went into nasik uh, it was you know the biggest building i've ever seen with no windows uh went to cia traveled all around went to this cool air show in dubai so did a lot of amazing stuff and at that time there was nothing that can jam out the side um
1: in 2007 wow yeah okay
2: yeah uh, that i knew about right um yeah, because just the technology you had is uh, the little radome technology, you know, so we didn't have aces at that point, at least not on our enemy jammers that I knew about. Um, and so normally you have to, you would point at where the fighter's going to go, right? Fighters, mm-hmm. we at least up until uh, that I've known about it, is we fight with our noses, right? You always want to fight your enemy this way. Uh, that's where all your weapons are pointing, all your systems, all your sensors, right? And then if you're not actively fighting, you better be pointing the other way, right? So you're preserving your range between you and them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to fight with your nose and you want to fight when you're running away too, right? So, uh, so your jammers always go forward and aft is really from your fighters, okay. uh, all of our jammers go forward and aft, um, you know, we don't have any outside jammers. I could be mistaken on that point. You know, maybe, maybe we had, maybe France had some or something. Um, so I would say it's, it's weird. Could it be done? I mean, that aspect of it could have been done, right? I, I know enough about electronic attack. Uh, you know, you just look online and there's certain frequencies that they're in, right? Uh, it, so you can just get a noise jammer, you know, at Radio Shack. I don't know if you can buy it at Radio Shack. Uh, but actually, you just get a very loud jammer uh, in that and you just dial it to that frequency. You can buy them off the shelf. I, I, I can't imagine it be that expensive, a few thousand dollars and then slap it onto an aircraft somehow provide cooling. And now you could, you could have a jammer and that would provide noise jamming. Hmm. Uh, but that's dumb jamming, right? So what they saw, what he said they saw was they saw uh, deception jamming, you know, or, or I don't really know how their, how their radar exactly works. Okay. But noise jamming is just like dumb jamming, right? If I just like, <laughs> you know, while we're talking, uh, it's going to jam that, right? right? It will interfere, right? It just raises the threshold. So you can't hear what's actually going on. The radar is the same, but deception jamming now is like, it comes in and, and puts words in that I'm not saying,
3: like mm. I'm talking, you
2: know? So that's that's like deception jamming, you know? Um, it cancels out stuff. It moves stuff in front of other things. It says this is going faster than it is. Um, so yeah, there's there's different techniques. So it, it, it does depend on what they were seeing. Um, I don't know. My, my own assessment is uh, it doesn't look like they were jamming it, but it seems like, but definitely the it, the radar energy. What I know for sure, wh- what I believe you, I I can show for sure, is that it is showing that it's it's bouncing the energy back. So there is something there, right? And that and that's why maybe Mick West hasn't been able to say it's just a glare on the on the targeting pod, because if if the energy is going out uh, and coming back, now we know it's it's bouncing off something, right? Something solid, yeah. Yeah. So that's how you know. So. It basically just it counts right it, it, the radar knows it's traveling at the speed of light so it just counts okay that's how far away it is right um so there's techniques right where you you it gets there and you the jammer catches it and delays it and then sends it back louder or something mm-hmm. you know and so or yeah there's more complicated where it can foresee right it guesses when the next pulse is going to come mm-hmm. from the target radar and the jammer puts a track in front of it so it makes it look like it's it's closer. So there's there's these ways, and it's always going right now. There's people all over the world figuring out how to do better jamming, how to do better counter counter jamming, counter 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 jamming. Uh, so it's so it's ridiculous. But at that point, I I, I know I, I would be comfortable saying that for sure something's bouncing back. So it's it's reflecting radar energy, but I believe the radar pulse has been changed. So somehow it's been affected, right? Because the the radars, the target radars, they, they put a little code when they send out their radar, right? So they put out a pulse, uh, and it's coded. So when that comes back, they, they read the code. And so they know, right. Cause then they can try and get around all these, all these other tactics, right? It's a counter countermeasure. Um, so it's coded. And when it came back to me, it tells me that, uh, they couldn't get a range on it. Right. You notice it says, uh, there was no range degraded. It was like 99, 99. nine, 99.9 means range is denied. Um, So basically that, that pulse is coming back, but it's been changed. So that code is not the same. Uh, And, and so that is tripping the anti-jam or the whatever processing is in the radar to say, Hey, this is not what I sent out. I don't trust this information, so I'm not going to display it,
1: man. Well, and then that, that's even more troubling to think that whatever it was, was able to get to their cap point and know where that was. Again, it's just so troubling to think that whatever it was, that it was uh, seemingly playing a game with the pilots, uh, you know, it wasn't shooting at them. It wasn't doing anything like that. But my God, the fact that it's messing with them this much, it knows where the cap point is. I mean, that how does something do that if it's not doing what you said, able to change certain things of the radar or know where the cap point is like how how much knowledge does this object have of what these pilots are doing it's i don't know it's too much for me to wrap my head around
3: yeah what's up
1: guys ryan dropping in to wish you all a very happy halloween season and what better way to celebrate than with jim harold's campfire podcast With over 500 episodes of Campfire, you'll hear stories that will bend your reality and leave you truly spooked. The concept is pretty simple. Jim talks to regular folks about strange stuff that happens to them. And yes, that includes UFOs and UAPs, along with cryptids and, of course, ghosts. Now, not all the stories are horrifying. Some are pretty heartwarming, like a visit from a past loved one, or a peaceful near-death experience. Regardless, they are true and fascinating stories, as told by ordinary people who've had extraordinary experiences. So, pull up a log and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Somewhere in the Skies. And remember, stay spooky.
2: I mean, my own, this is total speculation, is whatever propulsion system they're using or whatever these things are using, uh, it, it, is a f- it reflects radar, but it also a- affects the beams of it. So somehow it's not bouncing off like a wall, you know? Okay. Um, but it's not like stealth either, right? Stealth absorbs it or doesn't reflect it, ultimately. You know, that's what you're doing with stealth is is not being reflected, right? You're, being as, you're invisible to radar because it doesn't reflect the radar energy back so ultimately the radar never gets that pulse right it just sends out a pulse it's like nothing <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh so because it's not bouncing back so what it tells me is these things are not stealth which is interesting um because if they were stealth then our radar would just go around it right uh, like uh, like our radar technology or okay. stealth or um so in that way it's not stealth it's reflecting energy reflecting radar energy but it's i believe it's it, by its nature, it's changing it. It doesn't mean it's doing on. It, I, I can't, I'm not comfortable saying it's doing it on a purpose. I guess if, is that what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and point. the same thing, yeah. I guess, for the cap point as well, because I think they it would have to have prior knowledge, but it would have prior knowledge of where the fighters were in the previous days, uh, because I looked at the cap point. Uh, cap points you pick because they're easy, uh, especially if it's just a basic training mission. You know, you're not out there missionizing this to say like okay, we're going to plan this detailed mission. I I don't know if that's what's happening, but my impression is it was just them going out there 1v1, you know, um, practicing basic intercepts, Mm -hmm. uh, was my, was my, my impression. Um, so I think they're just picking what's out of the book. You know, you just look in the book because that cap point, it's just like, it's like North 30 and West 120 or something. I, I don't remember the exact number, but it's whole numbers, right? And the only, It's only a whole number because it's easy for us to just pick and put it into a book and say it is. So, chances are they were using this every day.
0: You know, they probably use it for,
2: they may be using it for years um, because that's, those are standard airspaces. You know, if they were out flying around, or not flying, I guess, uh, sailing around uh, out in the blue ocean now and they picked a cap point out there randomly, you know, attached um, to their carrier, which it's always secret where the carrier is, right? So, then I would be like, man, that's weird. But that is weird because blue ocean uh, they picked this random cap point um, and it, and it still went there so is it is it does it have precognition or something right um, yeah but but in this case these are standard training areas these are your whiskey training areas your standard training areas and that cap point I bet everybody uses that cap point uh, is my I, guess. I'm
1: happy you you clarify that because in and, and again I know a lot of this is um speculation and um, yeah educated opinion but um that that's good to know because a lot of people are like oh it's us from the future and they knew where the cat point was and they're they're gonna go mess with these pilots and you start getting these huge grandiose theories that we get in the ufo world of um the intentions of these uap when in reality like you said like it's when you're able to ground it a little more it almost makes the experience more fantastic because it still is defying a lot of it. So, yeah. I don't know, I mean, that's my personal a,
2: opinion. Well, it's still very strange. I mean, I've always said it's weird. Um, but it it uh, to me it, it kind of means that they were they were seeing other aircraft go to that point and like orbit okay. around. You know, cuz at cat point you're waiting, uh, you're doing your fuel checks, uh, you're waiting for the fight to start, you know, you're waiting for the 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 red air to fly over there. You know, it, it's like a whole it's just a holding point. Um, okay. well, a cap point a cap point denotes like combat um but we call it a cat point kind of the hold uh anyway so yeah it's just a, it's a normal holding so you're gonna see planes school you know i could look at this airspace look at the basic um uh the shape of it and be like yeah i would set up a cap point here and i'd set up a cap point here right i mean it's got it but they did have to know that it's still weird it is weird well yeah. all right
1: now here's here's one that um a lot of people have thrown out there and I'd love to get your thoughts on this in terms of the tic-tac event. People have said that, um, you know, unmarked clothing people came on the carriers, took the radar bricks and were out of there. Some claimed they could have been air force. And then even more incredible, some claim that this was all some sort of, training that the air force is actually doing on yeah. the Navy. So I got to get your opinion, Chris, would that ever happen in a training exercise? Um, would the air force ever do something like this um, with Navy pilots and risking <laughs> lives and all of that? I have to get your opinion on that.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, definitely not. Definitely not. Okay. I mean, no, it just sounds ridiculous to me. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I guess even if you say, why, why for so many days? Yeah. You know, like, why do you need that much, that much data? Like if if you're really setting up this secret, you know, I don't know what test to try and test our systems against our systems somehow, um, why not just test it for like 10 minutes and be like, okay, they saw it. And then that's it. You know, why is it, why is it over this period of days? (laughs) You know, that that doesn't make sense to me uh, in any way.
1: Well, would, would it ever occur where Air Force pilots would do training with Navy pilots or is that kind of,
2: yeah, all the time. Yeah. I mean, we train with the Navy, um, as much as possible, you know, the whole point is to go joint. That's the whole, when I was leaving the Air Force, it was, that was the huge push was just, you know, um, joint combat ops working together. It's always the same thing, you know, but it's, it's very difficult (laughs) because, Yeah. They still don't, we still don't call each other. You know, we don't even call each other across, uh, fighter squadrons, you know, Everybody's still try like each fighter squadron, like I mentioned, is like a, is like a sports team, you know, right. You kind of hate all the other sports teams, you know, <laughs> so it's just how it works. Uh, yeah. so we we're, we do, we work together. Um, but the Navy's usually out doing their thing and we're out doing our thing. And the, and the training requirements are very difficult, you know, just, just to be able to get to that combat. You know, I, I guess my first mission in combat, it, it sounds like it was very flippant. And, 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 and it was, it, that was surprising to me, actually very surprising. Um, but it, you, you're missing the two, three plus years of 70 hour weeks in a row, right, you right. know, just training super hard. And, and normally it's, it's very, um, you know, very well planned out, especially in training. You do, you just can't have ac- you If you have an accident, man, your, your, your program shut down, you know? Yeah. A lot
1: like, is yeah. on the line. I get, I totally get it.
2: Yeah. If you have an accident in training, I mean, it's, and it was like something non-standard like that, man. I, I mean, I could see somebody going to jail or something. Um, hmm, So I, yeah, I, it just, it doesn't seem at all like our system's. Okay. At least how we would employ them, you know, how the how if I or I was in the Air Force, you know, if I was actually trying to test a system, but I don't want everyone to know about it. I wouldn't have these things flying around in front of thousands of people. It just doesn't. Right.
3: It's just right. ridiculous. Uh, a ton of yeah.
1: unwitting uh, witnesses now to it. It, it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, it, it defies yeah. any sort of logic I can think of. Yeah. Too. Um, awesome. Well, I've got I got a bunch of listener questions, Chris. Sure. If, um, I can yeah. fire through those. Um, But one last personal question, this um, Defense Authorization Act 2022, we're getting a permanent office to look at UFOs. I know you did a video like right when this thing kind of broke, the story broke, and uh, you were just as excited as we were about this. So what do you make of this? Do you think this is um, are we heading in a good direction? Uh, What did you find most uh, compelling about this? this new permanent office we're gonna get,
2: looking at UFOs. I, th- I mean, I think it's a huge step forward. You know, just how excited Lou is. Uh, mm-hmm. I was excited for him. Um, and again, I'm so new. I don't really know, you know, how big a deal this is, but it seems like they're going to take it seriously and they're going to dedicate money. I was reading it again. I think it has $23 million is what I could tell, is mm-hmm. is what they're, uh, it, it I don't understand actually how they how they denote the, uh, the money, but, Twenty three million dollars for a program, it's not a huge amount, you know. I think it's it's actually a pretty small amount, but that's a that's the you know what's amount. funny about that. Yeah.
1: Twenty-three million, that's one million more than ATIP, the Pentagon yeah. program. <laughs>
2: that's yeah. funny. They
1: gave them they gave him a little bit of it's
2: a less boost. though. It's less I mean you look at inflation, right? It's it's quite a bit less. Good point. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I hope it's more I hope they get more than that. Um, but I thought it was awesome, man. I thought it was awesome. It yeah. They can you know what put I found? you away. Yeah.
1: Right, right. That's a good point. You know, this isn't for certain yet. I'm trying to keep that in mind before we all get the uh, the cart ahead of the horse. But um, the one thing that stood out to me, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, let's see. Annual report would be required to provide an update on any efforts underway on the ability to capture or exploit discovered aerial phenomena. Um, But also this part, assessment of any health-related effects for individuals mm. that have encountered uap i mean that's something we don't talk about that often of um the physiological effects of some of these incidents too so the fact that they're even willing to look at that uh i think is pretty uh
2: stunning to be completely honest yeah I, i agree completely um and i think it is it shows that they're serious about it you know they must have gotten they must have gotten veterans coming out and, and talking to this congressman and, be, and telling them, look, man, I'm messed up or, or whatever, whatever it is, you know, there, there are health effects. Uh, you get enough people saying that. I mean, like that's what governments are supposed to do, right. They're supposed to take yeah. care of the people. <laughs> I think, I think I that's think. what they were. <laughs> they're originally, they, they tell us that's why they're there uh, to take care of the people. So I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. I, and I think that should be the, the focus, right. I mean, that should be the focus is, I mean, the, We've let all these people think they're crazy for so many years, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's enough evidence. Maybe maybe we could listen to these people and, and start helping them, <laughs> you know, instead like they, they have this traumatic I consider it a traumatic event, you know. And then as Absolutely. soon as they tell anybody, you know, we just like beat them down, you know, like take that yeah. crazy person. <laughs> and so you look at uh Kevin Day, the chief
1: radar operator, and he said this stuff ruined his life. Like he didn't want to really? be a part yeah. of this, he didn't want to like be known as the tic-tac uf like he he basically ushered in the whole event he was the first to track him on radar and say i think we should send a jet up there a couple jets and um his life has never been the same so no you're right man like not just in the civilian world there's been cases Mm -hmm. where people have said like they've gotten radiation sickness from being in contact with whatever the ufo was um but also our pilots and our commercial pilots like it's going to take one of these UFO events for like a pilot to make a snap decision that might not go favorably and hundreds of people might die from it. So I, I think you're right. It's it's good to see that they're taking it more serious. There's always going to be that potential threat aspect, as you would expect from the military and the government, because uh, like you said, it is their job to hopefully protect their nation. And um, And these things seem to be potential
2: threats because we don't know what they are. And neither do you guys up there as trained observers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they, and I'm sure that's what they're doing. You know, everyone does take the job very seriously that I knew in the Air Force. It it was, it was nice. People are, they're very dedicated. Um, They believe in the mission. Uh, So I think they are trying hard, but they only have their one perspective, right? Their one viewpoint. Yeah. And your military is not known for being this open-minded kind of community, right? So uh, yeah, I think they're trying their best to maybe to ch- change their minds, trying to listen to, listen to all the evidence. Um, but you know, it has been 70 years and we have had a program before, like we had blue book yeah. and nothing happened, right? We were ended up with the same thing. You know, we had the same evidence we had in 1952, you know, we had, we had radar evidence of them going hypersonic speeds. You know, we had yep. <laughs> basically we had eyewitness accounts, we had photos, you know, so our amount of evidence or data on these things or knowledge hasn't really changed since 1950. And and there were quite a few government programs on the way. So I'd, I don't think we should be relying on the government to like come in and actually tell us what they know. Good point. I, I yeah. don't believe that. I just, yeah. I, I mean, it, what is it? What do they say in stocks? You know, like past performance, not indicative of, of future results. And I'm like, well, what else are you going to look at? You know, (laughs) I was, that's always the funniest thing to me. Like, yeah, don't buy the stock, you know, like don't buy a Coca-Cola, you know, past performance, is not an indicator of uh, future results. And I'm like, really? Like they say this, man, these people are so full of shit, you know, uh, and people are a lot, man, they don't realize it, but a lot, most of the time, I think they just, they don't really think about what they're saying uh, or thinking. So I don't know, man. Yeah. Welcome to the social media world we live yeah, in, right? Yeah, <laughs> so many tweets, passion tweets I've regretted, and
1: uh, <laughs> videos I've put out. But, uh, all right, Chris, let me fire through these for you, man. Sure. I know okay. we have limited time, and I don't want to. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, Luis from the Unidentified Celebrity Review—a show you frequented lately, which is awesome. Um, he wants to know: Do you ever wish you'd seen a UAP, and would you have reported it like Fravor and Underwood did?
2: uh i'm now yeah for sure i wish i saw it you know i never thought i had an opportunity before um if do would i have reported it i don't know you know i think it yeah. depends on the circumstances yeah you that's know? a good point
1: yep i don't I know. know and a lot has changed like you said now they have to at least the navy um i'm not sure what the protocol is in the air force now i know they're oh that's another thing they're kind of it mm. seems like they're kind of a few steps behind the Navy, when it's coming to all of this, um, their willingness to come forward with their data and how they're going to use protocol to report these things. Um, it, it is interesting because we all think the cover up truly started with the Air Force back when Roswell happened, when the Air Force first became a thing. And now they're kind of the ones who were super quiet about all this in the past few
3: years.
2: Doesn't make you wonder. It does. Yeah. It does, you know, because you don't hear anything from the Air Force. They were the last ones uh, to sign. A, you know, they they basically started their uh, investigation the last possible day. You know, for the the, the task force, uh, they haven't come very clean, man. I I don't know. I'm not very, I'm not very confident. Yeah. In the Air Force right now. Sorry. Yep. You know?
1: Hey, put their feet to the fire, Chris. We need you. Yeah. We need you fighting that fight. Um. All right, Bland. <laughs> Underscore Meatballs on Twitter. Well, wow, that's quite a handle. Um Not a question about UFOs, but what is your most memorable flight in the F16? Anything you're willing to share in terms of that?
2: Oh, uh, I guess the yeah, the first sortie in combat. I, you one, know, I won't yeah. forget that one. Uh, All <laughs> oh, the missions and <laughs> the missions in Iraq. I just had some just ridiculous missions. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, not, yeah, we don't have to get into it. Yeah, I no do. one uh, didn't kill anybody. I didn't uh, have anyone die you know i've actually had a very uh i guess lucky kind of career you know i've had friends die for sure uh but i wasn't there um, so yeah you know i haven't seen firsthand any traumatic events i you know i wasn't kind of one of the few fighter pilots these days that hasn't killed anyone um i was there you know yeah just kind of luck and then i didn't i didn't volunteer to go back i didn't make an effort to go back uh and fight in those wars that i i just didn't think there wasn't a reason so
1: yeah I, that's uh, that's very commendable for sure yeah i guess um, I'll, just men- yeah. I'll just mention
2: i'll mention it quickly because i because he did ask a question yeah please do so you, you you uh pee in these piddle packs you, you know have you ever heard of a piddle pack i have not please no educate so you fly in combat especially or when you cross the oceans normally our missions are just like an hour and a half but when you fly mm-hmm. long missions across the ocean in combat you, you know your missions are like five or six hours and you you want to stay hydrated right because as soon as you're less than 3%, if you're 3% dehydrated, it lowers your performance and lowers your right. G tolerance. You know, you don't need G tolerance in, in, in uh, Iraq anyway. Um, but you want to, you want to stay hydrated, right? Which means you're going to have to pee, essentially mm-hmm. right. And up until that point, my technique was just don't pee. Right. So I just don't pee. It is very, it's difficult, man. You got like this plastic bag. It's called a piddle pack. <laughs> you unroll it. And, uh, there's like this sand in there, you know, and then you got to undo all this equipment, all these straps. Uh, it's actually dangerous i am when I was in Turkey a pilot died uh pissing actually he because oh, you have to move the seat and if you unbuckle from the ejection seat now uh basically he was moving the seat which you're not supposed to do uh, and it it like jammed the stick and he ended up dying right because you can't eject then because you're you're unstrapped right um and a, a a10 pilot did that as well so this it, it's actually even dangerous uh, but you have to do it and and a lot and actually the pilots, we don't really talk about it much, you know, like you don't talk about how you how you pee back with your friends normally. Right. You know? And we don't uh, think
1: of those things as a civilian. Even. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That never would have dawned on me. But yeah. Please. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's it's difficult. Um, So <laughs> this day, my buddy, Steve, I'm trying to get him to I think he'll work with me on this uh, the satellite project. Uh, but Steve he's telling me in the morning we were working out, you know, I had a night mission. And he's like, man, you know, I've been drinking water. Uh, I'm drinking like three liters a day. I just feel fantastic, you know. And you're, and when you're in Iraq, you can't drink. You know, there's no money. So everybody's just working out all the time. I read, I read a bunch of books. And uh, in your free time, there's not much to do, really. Right. Um, so I was like, sounds great, man. I just read in a fitness magazine, like, you should re- drink tons of water. And you know? I was like, okay, today, you know, I'm drinking water. <laughs> so I drank like, a, it was like two liters before I even got into the squadron, you know. And I showed up at the squadron. And up on the wall, there was, uh, in a plastic bag was the, the seat cushion, right? There was a seat cushion and it was yellowed in the middle, you know, and in black sharpie on it was written, uh, uh, the next pilot to pee on, a, uh, on the seat uh, is grounded. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, holy, sh-. I immediately had to pee, you know, I was like, no, you know, Never so I, <laughs> immediately. So I run in there, piss as much as I can, you know, but I drink a lot of water, a lot of water um so i tried to i peed again before we, when we went out there i peed on the ground okay because it's a lot easier to pee when you're waiting on the ground than it is while you're flying
3: uh-huh. uh
2: so i got in the air it didn't help right so we we go we're, the mission of special forces they're they're uh, raiding a house they're looking for some high value uh target some guy in there uh, so we show up and i check in with the guys you know i'm, I'm uh leading the mission and they're like miles away you know and i was like okay uh, they're like starting the mission you know and then they just start w- walking <laughs> like super slow i don't know like w- air fighting is just so much faster than ground fighting you know you just yeah. get that they're like wait you're you're walking there you're, you're gonna walk there uh so anyway i had time so i was like okay i'll refuel uh so when they get to the house i'll have all my fuel i won't have to worry about refueling you know because you can only fly for about 45 minutes uh before you, you need to go refuel and i'm like man these guys are it's gonna take them 45 minutes just to get there uh, so I I'm going to the, I'm going to the tanker and I'm like, okay, I have plenty of time now I can, I can piss, you know, I can take care of everything get it done. Uh, and it's dark pitch black. I set up the autopilot and I have to turn on the lights. Right. So I can't see outside. It's, it's totally dark. I get the piddle pack already unstrap everything. I get everything ready, you know, and I'm so I'm, I'm peeing, you know, it's okay. Everything's going fine. It's working. Okay. Everything's going fine. <laughs> uh, but then I drink, I drink so much water. Right. That it just starts like getting to the top of the piddle pack uh, you know. Uh, really? and i'm just like oh no, no you know like this image of this seat cushion you know bolted to the wall i was just like no <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just really concentrating you know and i'm like you know what what do you do like i don't even know what to do because i just they must have some limit you know of, yeah i found out later i think it's like 500 milliliters um, They must must know like the the normal bladder size, you know, but it was still just getting closer and closer. Um, But what I hadn't realized, right, as I'm just concentrating so hard is the the aircraft, the F-16 does not have automatic throttles, right? The F-18, I I learned that they have auto throttles, which which would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't control your thrust. It controls your altitude. (laughs) So while I had been slowing, right, I didn't realize my throttle was slightly low while I was peeing. And uh, I didn't notice it but like the plane was just getting slower and slower and slower. Okay. Uh, but I can't tell it's totally dark outside. <laughs> so what happens when a plane gets too slow, it stalls, right? So this right, it just, it just drops, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and the indication I get in there is like all the emergency lights come on, you know, it's like warning, warning, you know, like everything goes like the jet's about to explode or something. <laughs> and so what did I do? You know, I do, we're slow. I need to go faster. I just slam the throttle to, to military power, you know, and I, I'm just holding this giant bag of piss on my, you know, right in front of me. And so, if you can imagine what happens when you throw the throttle in a fire, right? It just like, I just poured yeah. this whole bag of. Oh, so I basically filled no. up a whole bag of piss and then just like poured it on myself. Uh, wow, <laughs> that was amazing. What and yeah. you know,
1: you guys are trained to make split decisions, <laughs> and you did what you had to do, man. That's crazy. That is That's a so hell fun. of a memorable experience, and I'm sure that uh that listener was not expecting that story
2: yeah there you go but we finished the mission i was able to i dried off that you get these crazy thoughts too like i can dry it off you know like nobody will notice (laughs) like maybe it was all water it was all water right so it'll be dry and everything will be fine you know so i like set up this map this you know i'd I'd, like superheated engine off uh super or heated air off the engine direct Mm -hmm. and i I was uh, diverting it with this map I had made up and it was going to dry it, you know, but whatever. <laughs> Self-preservation. <Yeah>. <laughs> Special <laughs> forces guys are down there. You know, I can, I can just imagine what they're thinking. Uh, yeah, I didn't, didn't what tell me. we you
1: doing up there?
2: We <laughs> did the mission. They got him. A helicopter flew in. It um, captured the guy. Um, no, mission no one was Blake. hurt. Yeah. No one was hurt. Awesome, man. Yeah. So it came back and landed. I just told the crew. I was like, dude, it's Pete on the sea. He's like, okay, that's fine. I'm, I was like, I'm <laughs> taking it with me. You
1: know. <laughs> yep. That's so. that is definitely a permanent souvenir in yep. memory. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Oh um, that's in the
2: book too, I guess. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Good. We're gonna get more details, just what I yeah. want. More <laughs> okay. to the, the piddle story. Um, so you came out with a video recently, and Rick H on Facebook wants to know um Chris's crazy ass theory on UAPs. <laughs> um Let's see what he says here. He wants to know if you've ever seen the documentary inner worlds, outer worlds. A lot of Mm -hmm. your theory is in there. And I think he'd be shocked at how on the money he is. So that might be something you want to know. What is it? Inner world, inner worlds, outer worlds. Cool. What was that video about? I haven't had a chance to really look at that. (laughs) That was, was that your dark matter one or was that a separate video? Yeah. I changed the
2: name actually. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to make it more uh, simple. It's it's yeah. easy to change the name of, of YouTube videos, as you know, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Uh, afterwards, so I changed it to "Dark Matter Is Life" just to like say what the the overall argument is, so people don't get uh, confused. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically I think why I actually started writing books uh, back in 2015. You know, I, I watch these YouTubers, uh, Brandon Carter. He's he's this workout guy. I haven't watched him in, in several years. You know, so I don't know what he's posting, but just motivated me so much just to to do what you need to do, you know, to do it, you know? That, I think that's the main thing in life is just go and do it, you know? Yeah. Like it's easy. Right. <laughs> yeah, like you went and you started making video or, you know, you went and you wrote that book and you just went around and started asking people questions, man. You do it like, it yep, made, it's the, crazy. The actions, the actions uh, they, they bring momentum with them. You know, once you could, it's like, once you can get momentum, it's like you have inertia. But if you never, if you never just go and do it, like nothing ever happens you know (laughs) yeah yeah
1: you know it's funny too my my girlfriend always brings this up there's a meme out there of like um a girl telling her friends like oh yeah my boyfriend has a podcast and it's like yeah because every girlfriend's boyfriend has a podcast these days and um when i first said like i'm gonna start a podcast you know she was kind of like oh cool yeah like do it. I'm sure you'll get bored of it after 10 episodes. And lo and behold, I think this is going to be episode 240 something, Chris. And um, wow. like you said, I, when you put your mind to it and put it into action, these things actually can become something. And you can actually make yeah. a difference to the, the conversations being had. And now she's like my biggest supporter. She's my main researcher. She's helping me edit episodes. And I think, yeah, one if you're passionate about it, you can make it happen. And I'm so happy that you've decided to take on this very controversial topic because it's not easy, man. I can't imagine what some of your flight buddies must think or, you know, know. friends or family. Yeah. What do they think? Do they think you're the crazy UFO guy now? I got to ask.
2: I don't know. I haven't asked any of my pilot friends. (laughs) Yeah, The ones I've talked to, they seem uh, supportive. You know, I asked one guy for, uh, mvg he gave me a picture of the mvgs that we use uh, you know there's no triangle aperture by the way it's there's no aperture in our mvgs it's just uh it doesn't work that way okay. so yeah so that uh that was one of the omaha videos i did actually you know the triangle uh the triangle one uh the yes. pyramid video with jeremy yep
1: um
2: so yeah i've done a few on the on the omaha uh but i asked him hey uh can you help me with this and he, he was happy to help so i think now it's getting in the news getting more mainstream. I think. Um, yeah, I do need to ask them. I keep getting comments like, "Hey, have you asked in your pilot buddies?" But I can't get on Facebook for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, yeah. They'll
1: they'll come to you if they have a sh- a story to share. I'm sure. Um.
2: um Andre, but everyone's been supportive. I I, I want to say. Uh. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't want to. J- you know. I didn't go out to join the UFO community or any UAP community. Uh. But everyone's been very supportive and and helpful. You know. So. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a fun bunch. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad uh, they let me. You know, they accept me. I guess. You know, (laughs) uh, we we let you into the uh, the freak show. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a very. I love it. Get right in. I mean, yeah.
1: I think so, man. It's fun, and like you know, there's days I wish I wasn't in it, uh, but it always pulls me back. And again, I think it's that burning curiosity to know what more is out there that keeps a lot of us going. And it's becoming more real than it's ever been before. So I think that's exciting. Um, oh, here's one. Andre on Facebook asks, what is your take on the awkward behavior on the part of the diehard debunkers? Now that the government and mainstream scientists are uh, taking it serious, um, it seems like they're kind of stepping over their own words and kind of losing their minds over this. Now you have mm-hmm. you have people like Avi Loeb starting the Galileo project, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, or you have Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's actually Super skeptical of a lot of this and now kind of opening up a little bit. A little oh. bit, he's getting there. Um, we'll get him yet, but uh, also, I think it's very important. Uh, the skeptics are essential to this topic, to this discourse. Um, but yeah, what do you think? Um, with the debunkers out there, what what agenda do you think they have in all this?
2: I, I mean, um, I'm sure it's personal. Yeah, for each I kind of I changed after Avi Loeb, you know, so basically, I made uh or Thunderfoot. So Thunderfoot, he has a million subscribers. I called him out in my first, like most popular video, you know, when I was fired up and yes, I, you know, I actually took out a lot of stuff from that video, but I left in some stuff, (laughs) uh, negative comments about these guys, which I still agree with. You know, I still think that, um, they're just wrong. They have no idea what they're talking about. Um, they are correct on certain points, you know? Yeah, I was wrong. I said, I said, focal length. I went back and looked like what actually is focal length, you know, and the way they, they define focal length. Okay. So, I'm not talking about focal length. I'm talking about focal distance. But I say focal length in that, um, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm not an optical expert. But I use these pods for long enough. I know that you can't just focus it there and then focus it. <laughs> you know, you don't have it uh, in focus to infinity. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, if something's further away, it, it it changes focus. And then when something's closer, it changes focus uh, to move to move the depth of field. You know, your depth of field changes, etc. So uh, I guess me trying to explain the optics uh, from a, from just using it. Uh anyway, kind of backfired. Uh but after that, so I was I was fired up, you know, and I was like, man, I need you know, now I have to get in this other debate with this other dude. Um uh, <laughs> any but he has a million subscribers. I don't know, maybe I can say, change some of their minds. Yeah. Uh, but then I met with Abby Loeb and I did my interview with Abby Loeb and he just kind of recaged me. And basically he his point was, you know, I don't care. I'm not doing this to see to get more likes. You know, I don't care how many more likes I got. And, and he, he he shot a, a pretty square shotgun shot right at uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Because I, I mentioned, hey, Neil deGrasse Tyson hasn't really, you know, come around to this. And Avi and Loeb said directly, hey, that guy cares about likes more than he does about the truth. Like, wow, that, that was kind yeah. of a shotgun. Um, I mean, and- he's
1: a media personality. I, it's for no. anyone who takes what Neil deGrasse Tyson says as religion. I'm like, he's a TV guy. Like he's a personality. He doesn't. He's not out there raising money to try to look for techno signatures on other planets, like someone like yeah Lov is doing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm glad to hear him, kind of put him in his place when it comes to that. And
2: and I I always liked Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know, I watched for you know several years. I listened to his podcast. You know, before <laughs> he was before he's famous. You know, I was listening to him. But I I don't know. Uh, so I mean, I I hope he comes around. I really do. I hope he comes around.
1: Yeah. And coming around, I mean, that's such a, you know, what does that even mean? I I kind of always go back to that because it's not like we're trying to prove to anyone in the UFO as a UFO researcher, I'm not here to prove aliens are piloting these UFOs or (laughs) that, that that's not my job. I I'm trying to find every conventional explanation as a skeptic would before we're left with that truly unknown and maybe it could be aliens. So I think it's important to keep that in mind when um, going down this rabbit hole of what is, what do I really want out of this and what does it mean to me? And, uh, and how do you present that to the public? You know, we don't want to be known as the crazy tinfoil hat wearing, you know, people who believe in little green men. That's, I mean, at least not me personally. Mm-hmm. So when people like you come around, we're like, yes, finally, more legitimacy from an actual pilot who can tell us this isn't what this is. This could be this, this could be this. So yeah, that's kind of my little soapbox moment, Chris. I
2: don't know. Yeah, if you have no, it's awesome. I, I, again, I, I appreciate it. I was very surprised by all the attention, you know, cause I'd been making YouTube videos for, uh, six, seven months before that, you know, every, I I just vowed every week I'm going to make a video, whatever, whatever I was interested in that week. Uh, I would make a video about it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, appreciative, but I was surprised at how many how much attention I got like uh, right away, you know? But yeah. I guess I want to finish that is um, I just don't have time to care what Mick West thinks. Like honestly, you know, like I'm not gonna go watch him say stuff. Uh, I, I mean, I, I do care of his arguments. His arguments are good. Um, if he makes valid arguments, then I, you know, I will listen to the arguments, but I don't go watch everything I don't think I watch anything. He's the quest, the quest shows, you know, and after Abby Love said that to me and it, it was like, I was all a- worried about or angry at Thunderfoot, you know, like I was going to do all this thing, but now I'm just proving something that's, I, I, I already am pretty sure I proved it. Um, so why would I be wasting my time with these guys? Yeah. You no, know? no, I don't, I don't right. care. I don't care what this dude thinks. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I don't care. I, I honestly, have, I've just put myself in a position where I don't have to, to care what anyone actually thinks. Um, Yeah. And I'm so happy for that. I just appreciate it so much. And, and that's why I'm just going to say. I'm just going to say what I think, you know, I'm tired I, for, for 18 years, I grew up, you know, in a religious country, you know, Texas. And then for 24 years I was in the military, you know, and, and so finally, I, I'm just in a position financially, mentally, socially, right. I live in Portugal, uh so yeah. I just don't have to care what other people think and, and so I'm just going to do what I want to do and and so I think that I really want to find out if there are you uh, a piece you, you know you made that statement like I'm not here to, to 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 prove that the alien is at the spaceship but I would say just go for it man that's what I would want to prove you know I want to prove there's a spaceship there and there's an alien in it <laughs> or not <laughs> uh or it's something else or it's some weird anomalies or something but Uh, yeah, it's just so interesting. So interesting to me. It's so, I mean, what, is there a bigger story? What do you, what else you can talk about? You know?
1: No, man. I always tell people two big questions in life, you know, where do we go after we die? What happens? And is there other life out there? And I think we can viably answer at least one of those, hopefully within our lifetime, maybe not. Um, or the answers might be completely different than what we ever expected, but Hey, we're making strides and it takes rebellious scientists and and yeah. um you know philosophers to really yeah. <laughs> go on that landmine, as Avi Loeb would say, before we can, you know, it, it's it's paranormal until it's normal. That's what I sort of go with with people, or it's science fiction until it's you know science fact. So yeah, I think we're on the cusp of finding out some really interesting stuff when it comes to. Where we're heading, quantum physics-wise, and in a lot of that sort of stuff. So, no, nah, I, I can hear the hunger and the uh, the curiosity in your voice to find those answers. And that's yeah. those are the kind of people we gravitate towards because we can that, we can see the passion.
2: And it just came it just came back so coincidentally to my uh, my original kind of crazy theory. You know, um, I grew up thinking the theory not fully. Um, but basically I did feel like we were in a uh, organized uh, organism. You know, I've thought that mm-hmm. for decades. Uh, I just would I didn't know how to, how to communicate it or I didn't. And it wasn't even full until I watched the Avi Loeb interview uh, with Lex Friedman. Again, I should just watch Lex Friedman, uh, all of his interviews uh, with people, but I watched the interview with him and Avi Loeb. And that really put all the pieces together for my um, whatever Chris's crazy ass theory. Uh, but basically it just means that, um, you know, humans are not the, we're not the top of the life chain. You know, if you go down into our bodies, there's, you know, maybe an infinity amount of levels below, you know, in your cells. And I, and I think they're all just living at, in their dimension, just like we are at our size dimension. Uh, and then if you look above us, so I, I think we're just in larger organisms, which could, if you keep, you know, go out to infinity up, and it, it does. It could possibly match for like this dark matter. What we're seeing, basically, uh, the argument is uh, it's more order. So life, life creates order. Is kind of what I believe. Uh, you know, out of dead, inanimate matter, it organizes it. So into the future, right? It replicates. You know, dirt, <laughs> and turns it into a plant, right? So it's, it organizes it, and then the plant will continue into the uh, into the future. So I think what life actually does is it, it organizes stuff. It, it creates order. And and when we look up, that's what we're seeing is this this dark matter, right? It's not really matter, it's it's a a term that scientists use to denote a, a misunderstanding. Like our right. models are not matching and they're and they're 95% off. I don't know. I see numbers from 85 to 95% off, which means you're not off. Okay, you're not even off, man. You're you're not even in the same zip code, you know? <laughs> nope. Um, and, and, but really what we're seeing when we look up is there's more order than we're expecting, right? The the galaxies are staying together when they, when they should be blowing apart, right? They, right. But they're being held together by dark matter, which is the, 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 argument up until now, uh, was it's this invisible substance that creates more mass and we'll never be able to see it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which just sounds like the invisible teacup orbiting the earth. Have, have you ever heard that argument? Yeah. 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 You've heard it. Yeah. It's so approved to me. Uh, there's there's not an invisible teacup orbiting the earth right now right you, you can't you can't prove something that doesn't exist yeah um, so I, that's the basic argument is that uh, life is actually uh, ordering uh, and so what would what these Uaps would actually be is control some type of control mechanisms they you know whatever they provide nutrients for our cell which would be the earth uh, and then they if things get out of control maybe they kind of help a little bit or mm-hmm. hurt a little bit um just like your body will control any of its cells, right?
1: Right. Oh, that's yeah. so fascinating. Yeah, yeah, they're they're kind of nudging us every now and again, yeah. and being like, "All right, let's get this this chaos back a little bit, back into control." I love that. Yeah. Like when we're glimpsing these phenomena, we may actually be glimpsing the invisible control mechanism that's always been there. And I mean, people like Jacques Vallee mm-hmm. have been saying that for decades now. If you've ever looked into um, the work of uh, Jacques Vallée, he's, he thinks that's what these UFOs are. They're a control mechanism of some sort to keep things okay. in order. But because of our human nature, we see them as the opposite. They're they're breaking paradigm. They're making things out of control. They're rebelling against mm. everything we know. So it, it's, it's interesting. God, that conversation could go in a million different ways.
2: Yeah, I mean, I... I- yeah, I think it, I mean, it's obviously just one hypothesis. Who knows? You know, that's right. the thing with the, you start thinking about UAPs and all of a sudden it's like, there's so many options. I mean, you know, Anyways. like, Anyways. which is awesome. I mean, it's just, I think it just shows us that there's so much more we don't know, you know, we and and that's just so obvious. You know, we we always think we're at the modern, you know, like we're like living in Star Trek. You know, we are in the future. We're in the future, you know, like we're on the <laughs> bleeding edge,
0: <We're laughs> yeah. the
2: bleeding edge of science. And just see, like, you're always on the bleeding edge of science, just so you know, right? That's yeah. just how time works, right? You're always on the bleeding edge of science. You know, the Romans, they were on the bleeding edge of science, you know? Yeah. And if you look, we haven't really changed that much, you know? Um, yeah. The final, Yeah, sorry, the final uh, thought on that w- was, um, as an example, so, like, if the police come to your house, right, and they come to uh, arrest you, and say they're, like, state troopers,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? Um, so that would be from the dimensional state level. Right. So they are, in effect, controlling you in, in that sense. Uh, but they appear as people. Right. But they're not just random people. Right. They're people in a uniform. They're in a role. They've, they've filled that role, um, but they're executing it from the state. You know, it's really the state is making you go to jail. Right. It's like mm-hmm. state versus, you know, Ryan. <laughs> right. Uh, so it, it's not like you're so that w- that would be an example of a control mechanism from a higher dimension. In this case, it would be the state, you know, New York state is going after Ryan for whatever reasons. Okay. It appears as people dressed in police clothes. Right. But, you know, that's, that would be the analogy. Yeah. Again, like a hypothesis, that. uh, but if it opens people's mind and start looking for other, um, you know, other clues or other ways to gather the evidence, then I, I think it's. It's time, right? They've been they've been beating their heads against neutrino <laughs> neutrino tanks the last forty years looking for dark matter. Yeah. You know, I think they can open their scope.
1: Yep. It's time, man. I'm with you.
2: Yeah. Hopefully 50,
1: 100 years down the line will our, you know, people will look back and be like, why, why didn't they like believe in these UFOs? Why did they like make fun of each other for so long? That's my hope, at least, that we'll get to that day where it is, it becomes normal. And then you go to the next level and the next level. It's, it's awesome. Well, I got to ask Chris wrapping things up, man, I've kept you way yeah. longer than I told you. No worries. Um, what do you, what are you looking forward to most in the latter half of 2021 going into 2022 when it comes to UFOs? Are you going to keep looking into this stuff? Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, Oh yeah. 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 I got you some plans, man. Yeah. I, the cool. most, I'll just say it now. Cause I already said it on a, on a Andy show. Um, was, yeah, I want to put a satellite up. I want to get a UAP hunting satellite and fund it by, uh, crypto. So if you look at my older videos, I did a lot of NFT. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just see a clear, I just see a clear path to, uh, funding a satellite, uh, with FLIR on it. Right. So we, we add FLIR optical systems, uh, funded crowdfunded, right. So Mm -hmm. no government money, none of that stuff. Uh, and then send this thing up there i think it'd be super fun um, it'll probably just blow up or something but even then that'd be awesome you know it'd be like it blew yeah. up you know? uh, <laughs> i do it again you know, and the but the point is to show it as a model right i really want to show this as a model and then mm-hmm. and then the idea is i'll just youtube i just want to share everything you know i'm tired of people like c- closing all the information you know you can't release that you know it's <laughs> yeah they signed an nda you know they can't talk about this and i want to just going direct to the internet like direct um, like no one can stop it. I want to hardwire it. You know, I, I mean, I don't yeah. think you can hardwire it from space. Um, and so I think it is, I think it's actually going to happen. Um, I have my cousin is ran He randomly built the Mars orbiter. So he's pretty talented oh, wow. and, uh, yep. And so I think we can do it. You just need, I think we can do it for under a million dollars. So crowdfunding, nice. if we can get enough people to buy these NFTs, I think the NFTs could actually even go up in value. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm super cool, excited about man. that, right? And I want to do it as fast as possible. I, yeah. Yeah,
1: yep, exactly. Just do it yeah. now before... That's um, the thing, yeah. Yeah, this I,
2: permanent DOD office starts controlling all of the satellites. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, you know, everyone's... It's the same thing, right? Like uh, actors. You know, if you met someone and, and they... If you're just at a party or something and they and they start acting, uh, it's kind of weird, right? It's like weird. Or if yeah. if you're maybe just a few people and someone acts, it's it's weird, right? But then if someone's on TV and and then and then it's like you're enthralled, right? Oh, I'm drawn into this character, right. you know. So it's, like you said, my friends, I'm about to start a podcast, right? No one gives a shit. No one cares, you know. I'm I'm writing a book. No one gives a shit, man. No one cares, right? But you have a bestseller book. All of a sudden they're like, wow, he's got a bestseller. You know, put it on put it on thing, you know. So yeah just, you know, just doing stuff I think is the, is the way to do it just go and do it like you want more evidence about Uaps man like in your in your city put together a Uap Ev, you know all like I showed you how just all we need is like one event with 30 people filming yep. or, or less even you know it doesn't have to be 30 30 is just like your magical statistical number. Yeah, but that get would...
1: off your butts and do something. I'm yeah. so like sort of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're sitting here having it a works. conversation. It works, That's right? one thing, but for yeah. those who criticize those trying to proactively yeah. uh, investigate and uh, actively research these phenomena, like support them. What 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 harm can come from Avi Loeb doing the Galileo project? I mean, yeah. if it's their own money, Everyone gets let them do it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, man. I love yeah. that. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that and of course last question for you where can we find everything you're up to and uh yeah what chris leto's got coming up with uap
2: uh youtube is my main you know where i mainly live so just chris leto uh and then i have a patreon i'm um so if they're interested support me on patreon i I, i'm pretty active on that i and again i want to build a like a real team you know or Mm -hmm. i don't know so whatever ridiculous say you want to build a movement or something, not a movement. I just want to get, get stuff done. I want to get shit done and I want to put a satellite into space. that's looking for UAPs and I want to put satellites, not maybe not satellites, but uh, sky hub systems in hotspot areas, put them in uh, locations of cities. Um, yeah. I mean, just get our own evidence. We don't, yep. we can just, we can keep being mad at the government for lying to us for 70 years and be like, Oh, this time they'll come around, <laughs> you know, like right. Past performance is no indication of future results. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I just I want to get, our, do get my own. Yep. I think it'd be super fun. I've always wanted to, you know, send something into space. Like, why not get the whole UAP community focused on it and you know, someone else do it. I show them how to do it and then other people do it. I, I don't care. Like, yep. But it's the ripple effect, man. I yeah. love that. Awesome, Chris. Well, hey man, again, you've
1: been very gracious with your time. We covered so much. I know there's more listener questions and stuff we didn't get to, so I'd love to have you on again. But um oh, man. I got to thank you for all you're doing again, just up in the legitimacy of this topic where it needs to be, I think. And uh, I got to thank you for coming on somewhere in the skies today.
2: Awesome. No, thanks Ryan. Great to meet you, man. And uh, yeah, I'll come on again. Just, uh, just when I have the time, so no worries.